are back. We are back. Welcome to Match Point number nine of Tennis Bets Podcast. I am one of three hosts here, David E.J. Berger. You can find our show handle at Epi9Tennis on Twitter and now Instagram. If this is your first time listening, chance starts how you found us. Welcome. Hello. If you're a returning listener, a returning champion, welcome back. With me, as always, is my number one tennis talking bro, Derek. Derek, hello. Hey, hey everybody. Uh, welcome back. Back to that 250 life after being spoiled with a couple 1,000 events. Now we get those uh, three simultaneous tournaments again. We get that dirty clay as well. We also get reminded what it's like to watch tennis in 480p. You know, thanks to Houston for keeping it real since the 20th century. (laughs) (laughs) Or not even available to watch. Stevie Johnson round one match. Right? Uh, Like it's not even on tennis channel. (laughs) charleston's getting all the love well let's get into it we're gonna bring in a third guy here uh the one the only john reed you can find him at jr tweets tennis Uh, he does content for his own brand tidbits tennis he writes for the action network betting expert hammer hq he does tennis form recaps john it was a busy month for you uh in march and uh welcome back as we dive into april yeah just uh slowing the content down a bit but uh Good to be back. Let's talk some some clay court tennis. Obviously, Marrakesh is, is they're having some issues, but um, we had at least two tournaments to talk about. Hopefully, by this does uh, they'll have a super second round Thursday in uh, in uh, Morocco uh, tomorrow. Yeah, the rain has uh, affected I think two of the three sites so far. Not fun uh, when you're handicapping these things. All right, guys. Well, this as I said, handicapping uh, is type of language you use on a betting podcast. So we like to be transparent because that is key and king in the betting content streets. We'd like to do a little recap of what we talked about last time and what did we win? What did we learn? Wins. We were anticipating this to come in, but the Karen Hachanov quarter win for Derek at plus 700 that cashed. Uh, I was on the right side of the three and a half with uh, Mr. Hachanov versus Sarendolo. Set of six two was in play uh, in the pod, and guess what? That was the scoreline in the second set. So there you go. Also cashed Carlitos two zero uh, losses. Uh, two of the three guys did lose on Dolo, sadly. Uh, but you know it was an it was an, a solid dog chase. A lot of people were on that that dog side, so uh, I don't think you were alone. Uh, with that holding that ticket uh we also lost on the med under 20 versus eubanks falls 21 that brutal a, beat yeah yeah set and break up against chris eubanks yeah solid footfall and double fault uh got in the way of uh consolidating that break the uh, usual way you blow a set and break lead and lose by the hook you know just the, just the there's the typical way foot faults <laughs> and the coin flip i mean a double break for a set for six could have been a 6 2 set very easily as well. It wouldn't have happened if you didn't bet on it, though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Yeah. The exactly. only reason. Exactly. Yeah, that was it. Uh, all we really talked about on the last pod. Uh, Medvedev won Miami since we were last on the mic. Uh, Sinner broke down in the final, playing into you know everything that we usually say about Sinner and his ability to, to go the distance in these uh, tournaments. We got to win a lot of matches played great up until the end body failed them medvedev though man post ao check this out daniel medvedev goes 25 and 1 including his walkover win versus molchan only dropped seven sets in that run impressive stuff now it's clay season though guys sinner even joked about this being what's ahead for medvedev in the post-match uh interview because you know as anyone who knows uh tennis or follows tennis uh daniel medvedev does not like clay so, uh, is he going to be a fade or follow uh, moving forward? No fade. <laughs> pretty pretty yeah. easy fade, right? Mm-hmm. Is he even is he going to play? I I, I want to check his schedule here, um, real fast before we move on because I wonder if like he'll play what he'll play Madrid because that's the altitude where his serve can just like bought him some points. I'm sure. Um, Monte Carlo, right? He is, and Barcelona. And Barcelona is one of them with the sun. I mean, it's always tended to not be the slowest of slow. Like Monte Carlo's mud slow, that's a fade. Madrid, I wouldn't necessarily, it's not an auto fade with Medvedev. Um, like servers can have some fun there, or at least for him, it may not be fun. It may just be less insufferable, I suppose is the better way to put it. But then like Rome and the French Open, 
The French Open is is like always though. Don't fade in the first round with a scrub. Like don't just blind fade. He's always the guy who will make like that second, third round run, and then you've got a nice spot where. And you like that too. You like him to win a couple matches where the market's like, okay, he's just like he may hate it, but he's still gonna win on it. And then they bet him down, bet him down. You get one competent guy with a nice price. Bam, find your spot and attack. Yeah, I, I'm gonna like make it slow in terms of trying to fade that guy. I mean, you got to get your feet wet a little bit and watch him play a couple matches and see how he he's gonna handle it. I mean, he just might go out there and just freaking immediately complain about how his shoes are dirty or something like that. And <laughs> the dog answer. dogs playing dirt, I believe, was a yeah <laughs> famous so, quote of go. his. Yeah, just don't dive in too early. I'm interested to see how the the books treat him because obviously he's red hot. He's going to be a pretty heavy favorite, but how are they going to price in this lack of clay tolerance uh, from the med side? I think for me, uh, yeah, I- I'm still on the fade side. I was trying to fade him in Miami, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that didn't come to fruition. Man, Sinner just can't get over the hump against this guy either. No, no. He's not coming to net quite enough, obviously. I think that was that much. I think he made an effort, too, in that final. But there were still too many rallies early on where he's just trying to outslug or hit through Medvedev. And it just wasn't working. And it's like, dude, it's good that you're coming to net, but you need to do it more often. Or at least when you've got him outstretched, you need to... Like, when you hit a shot that you know, okay, this is a great shot, big power, he's going to be outstretched and and return something very defensively. You've got to follow that into net right away. Got to be more decisive because... Coming into that here or there, you're going to find some points. But if you're still going to get into 20 ball rallies, he's going to outlast you. And that's exactly what happened. I think the approach from Sinner was better than potentially it had been in the past. But he just, you get into a late second set situation, you're you're donezo uh, against Medvedev because he's just going, the, the physicality issue is a weakness for Sinner. It's a strength for Medvedev. You throw in some Miami heat um, at a three-hour semifinal, even if you had a day off with Alcaraz, <laughs> you're screwed. And that's what happened. Does Sinner not have a drop shot or what? I mean, like watching uh, Carlos play uh, Medvedev at Indian Wells, it seems like Medvedev was like playing further back, but he was also hesitant because Carlos has got that sick dropper too. So he was kind of just caught in the middle. And then Sinner obviously can push Medvedev back, but... It seemed like Medvedev wasn't really threatened by anything coming to the net or anything like that. And Sinner's obviously been looking better this year. I mean, I've talked so much crap on him on this podcast, but um, <laughs> he, he's improved a lot. But I don't know. Is he just missing that shot or what? I think the big thing, too, was even when he did come forward, I tweeted about it because I was like, there was a perfect shot to follow in. And the thing is, when you come into net, it's got to be almost immediate, right? Otherwise, if you're a second or half second late with the way you bl- with the way you hit the ball so so big as he does, if you're a half step back, that 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 half step opens up so much more room for a for a guy who can hit uh, a passing shot like Medvedev. So you've got to be decisive. And there were like two or three balls that he hit that he should have followed in, and he didn't. He still came in after the fourth ball, won the point, and I'm like, that's that's great and all, but you could have saved yourself hitting four big shots, the energy that takes. Now think about that, you know, out, you know, uh, uh, extrapolated, pardon me, over 15, 20 points at 60 fewer big ground strokes. Think about the energy mm-hmm. it takes to hit that big two. I, I think that that's the issue too. Like a, a little bit of hesitance or not being aggressive enough in coming into net. Uh, and yeah, developing a drop shot against Medvedev with that kind of power is key as well. I mean, that's like you said, Alcaraz just dominated. He pushed him back. He's like, if you're not going to stand far enough back, I'm going to hammer forehands into back corners. If you do get too far back, which he has to, because he doesn't have counter. He's not like people say he counterpunch. No, he's he's more, I, I suppose the backhand counter punches, but he's more of just a pure defender. And then if you leave something short, he can absolutely flatten out. But if you push him far enough back, you can drop shot his ass. And if you put, if if you drop shot him enough, you bring him in, you can find ways to, to hit into the back corners where even he can't reach, mm-hmm. or at least he leaves it super short and you can find a winner. Sinner only has that coming into net aspect right now. And even that isn't polished enough yet. He's got to get in there sooner to avoid breaking down in matches, conserve that energy for later. I hope Darren K. Hill's listening to this podcast. He's like, oh, that's what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> I looked it up on uh, tennis statistics the other day. Sinner was 80th in uh, total net points out of the top 100. I think he was 70th wow. in net yeah. points one percentage. So uh, certainly a lot to be desired. I actually think he's. Like I, I've stated on this podcast, I think he's pretty good at getting up and down uh, on the court. So I, I feel like he knows 
Like I, I saw some phrasing out there that he needs to learn how to go to the net. I don't think it's that he needs to learn how to go to the right. net. I think, I think he just needs to go do it more. <laughs> exactly. And earlier. And earlier in points, if you know you're going to break yeah. down later in a match, earlier in points. That's exactly it. All right, guys. Well, we are moving into clay season here. I thought it would be good to do a little clay season primer. Run down the, the calendar. So we have uh, Estriol, Houston, and Marrakesh this week. Next week is Monte Carlo, a 1,000 event. After that, we have Barcelona, plus 250s in Munich and Bosnia. Then we have back-to-back 1,000s with Madrid and Rome. And then Geneva and Lyon, 250s ahead of Roland Garros. So we're staring down a solid stretch here, Clay. I think a big question, who was good on Clay, right? Like, we know Nadal is. So I thought maybe uh, it might be informative for the audience to run down who Tennis Abstract, who, you know, their their ELO rankings, you can take it or leave it. Uh, but I thought I'd take a peek at what they have here as the top Clay ELOs with uh, Carlitos leading that off, followed by Djokovic. Sitsipas is number three, center at four. Cam Nori now with his golden swing run. After that, Kasper Rude, Rublev, Zverev. Medvedev is up here, followed by Berrettini. Nadal, I think this is probably because of his uh, lack of play, is uh, behind those guys. FAA, Achanov, Runa, Fritz, Busta, Herkash, Dimitrov, Murray, Tiafo, Fokina. That's the order at the, the top end here. What do you think of that that list? Anything strike you from, from reading those names off? I'm glad you skipped Baez. I'm still going through this list. <laughs> I freaking hate so- that guy. I love that guy, man. <laughs> um, I think, I mean, I think if you had like an uh, ELO for 250s and 250s only, he'd be really high up there uh, on I clay. I mean, he's he's going to do it again this year at Estoril. I could just, well, no, he's not. But he, I, I have a feeling he's he's looking, he looks strong against Pedro Kachin. I sat down to watch tennis for the first time in a couple of days today. I was impressed by that matchup. I would say too, look at your clay raw data as well as your uh, C ELO. C ELO is what, um, is recommended for head-to-head matchups. So they blend a to- they blend the total ELO there with the clay ELO. And then you can go to the clay raw section, which I think is just the ELO on clay. And there you have Sitsipas, yeah. um, then Alcaraz, Rude, Sinner, Nori, Zverev, Djokovic. I think the other ranking is a bit better because I do think overall, like overall scale translates across surfaces at the top end of the game. So I think the C ELO is the better tab to use as uh, Dave did. But if you want just pure clay data, um, since he passed actually leads the way, which is, which is interesting, but the one thing to watch too with clay is you get to the French open, the favorite at Wimbledon, the favorite at the Australian open Djokovic is usually going to be value even around even money. There's no one in my mind that's value at even money or even plus 125 plus 150 at the French open, not because there isn't like a dominant force, AKA Nadal but he's older and and hurt right now, but because there are so many guys who are elite and can beat each other up on the clay. You've got Tsitsipas, you've got Alcaraz, you've got to a lesser extent this year, Rude, Uh, Djokovic, Nadal, Holger Runa. Don't sleep on him on clay. That's his preferred surface. We've seen him translated across other surfaces, but that's still where I think he broke out last year by making that run at the French open. If you recall, there's no one in my mind, unless six guys fall down with a serious injury and just elect to play the tournament. And one guy is like of the elite tier. It's just head and shoulders ahead. There's no guy that has an over 40% chance to win the French this year. And that's my main takeaway is favorites at other slams or at, or at other events. Chalk can sometimes show some value. I don't think that's going to be the case um, at a lot of clay events in the next little while. Tennisabstract.com is where you could find this. Uh, give them a shout out as we're using their info. Some of these guys, like Opelka, is in the middle of like Zapata and Molchan. So don't necessarily, th- you know, say or toss out some of these serve guys. Opelka ob- also said on Shapiro's podcast that uh, the French is faster than Wimbledon, which I don't really believe, but it certainly seems like clay isn't um a surface that he's totally counting himself out on i don't think he'll be back for the french but and i'm just using him as an example just saying like i wouldn't just blind fade servers like i kind of did yesterday with uh Hollis versus borges that was a losing ticket i mean identical stylistically to alex molchan and riley pelka i don't see any difference in their height the hand they use style aggress <laughs> i don't see any difference same serve same hand 
Same height, everything. They're identical players, and Molchan loves the clay, so. <laughs> That's sarcasm for any people that are going to try and troll afterwards. But yeah, definitely take a look uh, at this list as you, you, you go, uh, if you're not looking at this information uh, ahead of uh, making some plays. But I, that was something I thought uh, will be good to talk about uh, as we head into a long stretch of clay. Now let's get into the events this week. ATP, Marrakesh, and Morocco, this event has been played as a full tour event since 1990 in Morocco. It was in Casablanca before moving to Marrakesh in 2017. David Goffin won last year, beating uh, Molchan. Wow, getting uh, name-dropped a lot here. Uh, 3-6-6-3-6-3. They didn't have it for two years thanks to COVID, but Benoit Paire won in 2019. Andujar won in 2018. Chorch won it. And he also lost to Del Bonas, the 2016 champ. So there's some uh, recent winner history. Uh, I would say uh, a mixed bag. Okay, so I just did some quick math. Um, I took the rankings, the C-ELO rankings, and then I compared them to their overall rankings, their overall ELO rankings, and then uh-huh. just did some quick math, just like the difference between their C-ELO ranking and then their ELO overall ELO rankings, um, just to determine if Clay is their um, their specialty. So the difference between GoFan, so he's ranked 47th in regular ELO, and then he's ranked 24th in Clay ELO or C ELO. So that's a 23 ranking difference. It, what that number, I guess, essentially means is that Clay is a specialty. Um, but yeah, just to like point out who else has like a higher Clay ELO relative to the regular Clay ELO. Uh, Musetti pops out. He's like 35 spots higher. Baez is 60 spots higher. Krajanovic is 27 spots. So, yeah, I guess going back to what we were talking about earlier, I think those guys are like the quote-unquote clay guys if relative to their regular ELO. I think there's something to be said, too, for an all-quarter who just does well across all surfaces. Maybe at the top end of the game, there might be a lot more hard quarters mm-hmm. or guys that are just better on hard quarters, uh, hard quarters than Gauffin. A lot of the clay court specialists are challenger to her uh, things that people on Twitter would call clay, you know, rodents or, or you know, a less kinder version of the word rodent. But these kinds, of, I hate that name, but it, it kind of applies here, which is annoying because a lot, like that's what a lot of clay court specialists are. And so they're not going to rank as highly as Goffin, who actually has a game that, you know, he's comfortable on all surfaces. He has a little bit of pop and power and he knows how to, you know, play a little spin here. He knows how to move on the clay. He's just adept everywhere. But at the top end of the game, there's going to be a lot more people who can beat him on a quicker hard court surface. So I think that's probably why you see that difference with him. The other two, undoubtedly, uh, it's just how much they suck on the other surfaces uh, relative to how good they are on clay, like Baez and Musetti. That makes total, total sense. Um, headlines so far, nothing really earth shattering. Uh, I want to, I want to bet on Hugo Gaston guys. Uh, that was pretty, uh, you know what? That was earth shattering for me personally. <laughs> <laughs> he beat, uh, Stroop in round one of this event. Golden swing sensation. Nico Hari lost his first clay match, uh, of the, the longer clay season here. So definitely don't overvalue. I think another tip is don't overvalue the golden swing guys here. Cause it's going to be its own, its own beast, this part of the calendar. And then, yeah, that's kind of what I have so far. Let's hop into some, some odds guys and talk about some of these matches. We have Bodic VDZ, a minus 200 favorite against the Australian Christopher O'Connell playing three games. O'Connell is plus 169 on the money line got a pretty neutral 22 here game total now o'connell already has a match under his legs on the surface so there's that angle but looking at that clay elo uh, bodic is actually pretty high from where i stopped reading that list quarter finalist here last year too uh beating day and copriva and i think again people look copriva he's a clay loser very 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 talented ball striker on clay and then he beat Dayen, who, of course, is is a very, very good quadruple-A kind of player. So uh, don't sleep on Bodic. And here's the thing, too. I, I agree that the play on, on the surface might help O'Connell. And he made his run a few years ago when he finally pumped his ranking up, I think after an injury, like three, four years ago. He won like 60 matches on clay or something at lower levels. But here's who Bodic van de Zanskop lost to last year. Molchan here in the quarterfinals. I think Molchan made the final in Marrakesh last year. Good clay player. I think underrated clay player. Sebi Korda, who, of course, at the match after Bodic, he beat Carlos Alcaraz in Monte Carlo. Holger Runa via retirement in the Munich final. 
Go Fan, Rude, Nadal, Davidovich, Fakina. If you're going to pick against Bodic, it feels to me like you need a kind of really, really, not just highly ranked player, but highly ranked, good, play court kind of guy to get past him. I don't think you're doing it with Chris Fakonnel. Certainly, uh, if, if you're a parlay person, I think uh, Bodic is a solid leg at minus uh, 200. That um, I agree with 100%. And, you know, if you want to just bet a unit to win a half unit on the money line, I, I don't think that that's a bad play either. The three, I don't hate either. <laughs> I kind of like the spot for Bodic. Uh, 150 points more on the Clay Elo. I just looked it up. So I, I, I think it's going to be a tough spot. Now, the, I mean, the only advantage real, really here for O'Connell is he has a match uh, under his legs, and this will be Bodic's first. Uh, on clay but certainly a, a good setup here for bodic what's the 2-0 here yeah bodic is plus 120 to win this in straights hmm. plus 130 at unibet plus 128 at pinnacle so another 10 10 cents on the dollar to juice that up for you even uh, even more enticing if you're in ontario and you have both of those or if you're in any jurisdiction with both of those uh, a couple decent options out there as well to to pump that up even more derek any uh, steaming o'connell bodic thoughts i think you guys said it all i do like that uh, straight sets bet and your idea of just betting a whole unit to one a half unit, you know what? I'm not against that either. I think it's a pretty safe bet. Yeah, I I, I feel like he could be, you know, potentially an even higher favorite here. Um, so I, you, you might actually, and you know what? People might steam that down. So people might be on the O'Connell train. He might slip under the minus 200. Sometimes it's just about not being greedy too, you know? It's like you probably always want to see at least even odds or at least like a minus 110, 115. But like taking sometimes just uh, minus 200 just to win a half unit if you're only going to bet a unit. I mean, it's not too bad of a look. Colin Greekspor is taking on Elias Emer. Greekspor is minus four and a half on the games line, minus 350 on the money line. The total is at 21 and a half. Emer is a plus 250 dog. Emer qualied into this thing. So he has a few matches uh, under his legs. And this will be Greekspor's. First match since losing to Alcaraz at Indian Wells. So he's had some time off. Uh, maybe he's been working on the the, the clay courts uh, in, in preparation for this. Uh, he's 2-0 and against Emer, but those were in 2019 and 2017. Emer has not sniffed a set <laughs> in this head-to-head so far. And with Greek Spore's returnability, man, I think this is lying pretty correctly because uh, things could go pretty bad for Elias who is a, a, a routine, just blind fade for a lot of cappers in the timeline. Personally, a little hesitant. Um, I don't know why Greek Sport bowed out of Miami. Him coming back here, I don't know. I don't think he just bowed out of Miami just so he can practice on clay, right? I mean, he was competitive against Alcaraz and Indian Wells, so it could yeah. have just been a sickness or it could have been like a, a cold or a COVID or you know something like that that was like, hey, can't, can't play, don't feel up to playing. Better to just build the endurance back up and get onto the clay. Who knows? Um, that is a good. That is a good point. Uh, that said, I do have an outright on Talon here, just because he is a clay challenger goat, and his half of the draw, barring uh, Nico Hari, was basically a clay challenger. And you know, like Cressy was the seed, and I think his quarter, the other seed, it was like, well, that's and he's got a buy. And then like Hadi was the fourth quarter guy that I was worried about, who's out in the first round. Every time this happened, this is pure superstition. There's no correlation. But every time I'm like, there's one guy who I think could beat Talon in this half, which puts me into the final, the plus 600. Every single time he bails out as like a plus or minus 500 favorite. And then I look at this match and I'm like, oh, he's a minus 500. And the guy that I was worried about is out of the draw. Okay, perfect. This is a prime spot for Emer to pick up a random win. But look, if his coaches just tell him, yo, this is a challenger. You're in the, your half of the draw is a clay challenger. Treat it as such. He will absolutely dominate but no interest in betting the single when i've got that uh that outright on the line yeah i think that's a pass match for me francisco passero is a plus 125 dog to alexander mueller who won as a dog against gasquet the favorite is minus 150 here two and a half games line here i don't hate passero here in a dog spot i certainly think as an italian this guy probably plays about 80 percent <laughs> of his matches on Italian clay challengers. So interesting, interesting pricing here. What do you think about the dog here with Becerra, who I think is a, a rising young Italian? Regardless of level, let's just say the last two seasons, he's won uh, 79 matches on clay. 
not played, but won 79 matches. So it kind of tells you, like, the guy knows what he's doing on the surface. To his credit, he's only played one match this year on the clay where he beat Aslan Karatsev, who, Karatsev which means absolutely nothing. I mean, he was only plus 110 by the market close, by, like market average at close there. Tells you all you need to know about where Karatsev is right now. But that was a three-setter. I mean, Karatsev is going to Karatsev, right? He's going to have a set where he's just going to be, you know, semifinalist Australian Open from a couple of years ago. But the kid is good. And it's one of those things where, to his credit, he played all hard courts this year to start the year. I was super impressed by that because he's not a natural hard quarter. He had played prior to this season. He's played 18 matches professionally this year on hard courts, and he's played 47 in his career. He's played over a third of his career professional hard court matches in the first three months of 2023. I respect that. That's a kid that's trying to branch out. He's getting into these challengers. There weren't a ton on clay other than the Tigre and I think like the South American challengers at the beginning of the season. So he went to higher level challengers where he could get in, develop that hardcore game. Love that. But he did. There were times where his kind of quality shone through. There were other times where the quicker surface, he looked really rushed and made a ton of errors. He's back on clay now. It's going to be a lot tougher to rush him, especially by a guy like Alex. Muller, who, let's face it, doesn't have a whole lot of weapons, has like a first serve and that's about it, thrived on the slow indoor challengers, I believe in Vilnius and Koblenz, had to, has had to come back a ton this year from do- positions where he was dominated to win his matches already, hasn't been super convincing. Now you put him on clay, his consistency is going to look great here, there's no doubt. And I think the market is telling you it's consistency versus a little bit more flash with Passato. But the reason why Passato has been so volatile and erratic this season has more been because of the sur- the byproduct of the surface he was on and being rushed, which is not something that's going to happen on clay as easily. And it's certainly not going to happen playing Mueller. You want to make that case if he drew Maxime Cressy? Okay, we can make that case that he might not know how to adjust and play defensively and try and overhit balls that he should because Cressy can still hit through the clay. Not something I think... Uh, the Frenchman does as well. So I think that this at worst should be a pick'em. Um, and you know, if you want to talk about Vig Free, pick'em like 50-50, that's even money. So I think when you're getting up to the plus 135 range, like we're seeing at Pinnacle, I definitely think that there's some value in that number. All right, I'm gonna bet that right now. And same. I did. All right, locked in. The aforementioned Lorenzo Musetti and the aforementioned Hugo Gaston are playing Musetti is minus three on the games line. Minus 180 favorite here. Total is at 22. Gaston is plus 150 as a dog. And this is a match I am a full pass on because it seems like an obvious spot to play Gaston in an obvious spot. I will immediately regret it two games in. I don't know, man. You look at both those guys. Most of those guys are unreliable to me. I can't even believe that you actually bet Gaston with like your hard earned money last oh. round. It was such a good bet too, though. Plus 180 is a good bet. I just couldn't do it because like Gaston, I saw the first set and I was like, oh, thank God. And then he's like, man, I bet Gaston. I'm like, damn it. Now I got to cheer for this kid, even though I'm not on him. And like, I was like, (laughs) originally I'm like, I want this kid to lose. So I I don't like regret. I shouldn't be results oriented. I I felt like an idiot for not betting plus 180, but I was like, at least don't make me miss out on like a free 1.8 units Mm -hmm. for my mistake. And then I did. And then I was like, I had to cheer for it too, because Dave was on it. I'm like, well, I mean, it's better to cheer for him to make money than for my freaking, you know, (laughs) not to feel bad about missing the bet. Yeah. You should not feel bad that you missed out on a Hugo Gaston bet. I mean, you would have just been stressing either way, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) I've been, is uh... there anything... Sorry, I've been a routine true fader, <laughs> especially in the opening rounds. I think I've bet against him the yeah, opening round his last three tournaments. Card carrying member by now <laughs> of the Fade Struth Club. Are you still in that club? Like, are you going to do that next tournament too? Fade Struth? Yeah. Well, it depends on who he's playing. But I mean, it's kind of funny because he's played like, like he played uh, Rinky, Lerner, and uh, Gaston and those guys all have I think similar aspects to their game in terms of like not a ton of power make you play a lot of balls um, and spinny and fucking Struve man he's just he's a he's a power guy with not a a a ton of baseline prowess Um, Mm -hmm. I mean he was definitely overpowered those other two guys in the end just beat the shit out of him and (laughs) 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 but uh, I mean in in the end Gaston was able to get out this one I think a, a lot of mileage on the the feet of uh Struf as well that was another angle i was t- attacking had indian wells he had the phoenix challenger he played miami so and he was you know someone who i think is still getting into shape coming up injury last year i believe so 
Um, that was another uh, reason I attacked Gaston. Uh, and if you want to talk, uh, no, I was just going to say, if you want to talk about a quick comparison of the odds, Musetti's currently minus 175 at the best book that I use, like best price at the books I use, pardon me. Gaston plus 156 best price at the books I use. Yeah, Gaston plus plus 180 against Struff on clay. That tells you where Musetti, where the market values Musetti. And the market is generally pretty smart. And it's think about how bad Musetti has to be playing for him on clay, who is regarded as like a top 25, top 20 clay quarter, to now be less of a favorite as Gaston. Now, we're not at market close yet. There's still room for this to shape up a little bit. But he is less of a favorite right now than Struff ended up against Hugo Gaston on clay courts. Oof. All right, the last match we're talking about still on the slate here is uh, Alexi Poprin taking on Dan Evans. Dan Evans is the two seed here, and I want to think back to like two years ago. Was he the one seed? It might not have been this tournament, but there was a, a, a an early clay season 250 where Evans was the one seed and Musetti was like a minus 400 favorite against him. It was like Evans was like a massive dog as the one seed. Uh, well, he's a two seed here, and he's a dog <laughs> once again. To, uh, Poprin uh, Evans is plus one twenty five. Poprin at minus one fifty two, ticking up. I think that was around minus one forty, and now it's up uh, twelve cents. Two games on the games line here, twenty two and a half total. I kind of like that. I mean, I kinda. don't like Poprin. <laughs> I don't think he's very good, and I, I Evans has not been great either. Poprin's been better than Evans this year. I would say that. I would say he's. <laughs> But is he a deserved minus Elo, if you want to go off Elo for clay, it, yeah, it's it's nearly identical. Mm. And so, I mean, Popperin's been playing better than Evans this year. I mean, Evans probably is actually just legitimately a better clay quarter. He can he can rally better than Popperin. Um, Popperin just tries to end points too quickly. So yeah, maybe he can spray some errors, but I mean I, I would lean Popper in right here. Two games, it's not too bad. Yeah, I'm just I want nothing to do with that match. <laughs> yeah, I really don't want to have anything to do with it in the end, though. <laughs> uh, Popperin beat a Moroccan kid uh, who plays tennis at ODU, Old Dominion, uh, in the States uh, to, to get to this spot against Evans. So he has a match under his legs uh, here. Um, a little positive for the Popperin side. Um, I'll probably end up on Evans. <laughs> I'm going to see if that if if he gets up to like plus 130 plus 135 there's a solid chance I I play Evans. Are you more or less betting Evans or are you more or less betting against Popperin? Betting against Popperin. second. Yes. Yeah. I, I was going to say I quit this podcast if he said betting on Evans. Yeah. <laughs> I quit. I'm out. I would have just stood up throwing my hands in the air and walked to another room. Certainly <laughs> not a bet on Evans. <laughs> Yeah, I was about to cancel my internet bill. I was like, I'm not even going to go on the internet anymore. Yeah, I All just right. wanted to clarify that. Well, let's pivot into some quick, deeper draw talk. I, I like your Greek spore look uh, in terms of the outright. I would also look at, uh, I think, Bodic as the three seed is a pretty yeah. good setup uh, as well. I mean, this is whew, this is watered down. <laughs> I mean, there's no one in this tournament. I, I mean, it's got to be Greek Spore or Bodix to lose, I would think, unless Musetti like shows up for once in his his life in 2023. That's exactly it. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think Hari was like plus seven or eight hundred too, um, but because like every every quarter has such an obvious favorite. Like Hari was that guy in the fourth quarter. Greek Spore is that guy in the third quarter. Bodic is that guy in the second quarter, and. I guess Musetti was in the first. I said my look there might have been Gasquet. Wasn't huge on the number, so ended up passing on it. But like Bodic was plus 500. And my only thing was I'd rather take if like if I think both those guys get to the final and it will be somewhat closely lined in the final, right? Firepower versus more consistent counterpunching. I'd rather just have Greek Spore at, you know, a dollar fifty or a dollar higher. No, dollar fifty higher on the out in the outright market, right? I just I think that's pretty evenly that's a pretty even all dutch matchup so but i mean and the other concern was if musetti does finally find his head and get his shit together but like then you're you're in trouble and again i'd rather have a guy from the other half of the draw just in case at a higher price or a cheaper price not a higher price cheaper price that's that's why i went but like the two obvious numbers there were bodic and greek sport because musetti was still the tournament favorite believe it or not that had to be faded with his current form 
Like I just, I just don't, I don't care if you're talking about he is, his game is still the best in this draw. He has been so bad across even clay courts this season in weaker clay court draws that you cannot, you cannot have him be the favorite, which just automatically implies there's going to be value elsewhere. Unless the, the house is holding like 50% or something, there's just going to be value elsewhere when that happens. Most, most of the time, let me throw a caveat there, but there's going to be value. And I think those two were the value numbers, even though they were the next kind of the second, third or fourth chalk. Right. What about Kotov taking on Bonzi next? I think he could beat Bonzi uh, on the surface. I think he's more of the, the, the clay guy between those, between those guys. Let me just consider, let me just confirm that. Um, well, Bonzi's like a gatekeeper, I think. Not gatekeeper, but like, I don't know. He's got a pretty good. He's actually a, got a better uh, Elo than him on clay, so I might be. Yeah, really, but look who. I mean, I get that Elo kind of uh, takes into account opponents, but last year he went nine and five on clay. He won a big challenger. Aon Provence is always a big challenger in France, but he needed three sets to beat Ram Kumar Ramanathan in the quarters. How the Double hell player. Ram Kumar Ramanathan? I mean, like big serve and volley hard quarter who's been terrible even on hard courts this year. Like, that's not a good win. His second round, he beat Kylian Jacquet, young Frenchman who is pretty weaponless, but I guess on clay can be tough. But 7663 is not impressive, doesn't cover the spread there. Gabriel De Bru is at the time, I think, was like, I think he's 17 now, so 16 year old, 7563, doesn't cover the spread there. I think he covers against Romanathan just because he bagged him in the third. His best wins were Greg Gregoire Barrer, who uh Greggy ba- Greggy Bars, and like he was minus 400. And then Nico Hadi, which was three tie breaks, the slightest of margins. He just then what Martin Cuevas, Greggy Bags again, Dominic Team, who is still struggling, let alone last year, and Stefano Travaglia. Those are his wins in 2022 on clay. Lost to Tiafo in straights, even though I think I had the over or the oversets or something, which pissed me off. Lost to Pellegrino, Corda, badly. Dan Evans beat him. Yuri Lahechka beat him routinely. I mean, he he loses to good players and he beats up crappy players. So where do you have Pavel Kotov? It all depends on Pavel Kotov, right? If he if he cares and he's engaged, he's a better clay quarter than Ben Bonzi in my book. If not, yeah. Bonzi's way too solid for him if he's going to take his typical nutcase day. Yeah, I, I I don't have a line on that, but I, I would probably go with the uh, the Russian side there. If he's a dog, yeah, I think you take your yeah, chance. Yeah, for sure. All right, guys, well, let's move on to uh, ATP Estriol, the 250 in Portugal, which has been around since 2015. Uh, Sabita Baez is the reigning champ. He's got two wins so far in this thing. Other past champs include Ramos Vignolas in 2021, Tsitsipas won in 2019. Sousa, Jao Sousa won in 2018. Karina Busta, 2017. Nicolas Almagro. Nico Almagro. God, Nico. what a talent that guy was. So, so talented. And Gasquet won in 2015. <laughs> it was already out. He played the other one, actually. I, I want to talk about court speed because this, I think it's playing pretty fast to me, anyway, for, for Clay. I mean, I don't think it's like deathly slow. John, what do you think? I mean, it's a seaside town. It's at sea level. There are winds. There will be winds at some point during the week. I've been there. Like, it's a beautiful little town. Um, I went when I, I I try and do some some tennis tourism. So when I have a city I want to see that's close to a tennis tournament, I'll line it up on on the calendar and go during that time. And so I did a few days in uh, about four days in Lisbon before I went to Estoril for the whole tournament. Now, I was working in sports radio at the time. I got my, uh, you know, the higher ups were okay with me getting credentialed. So I actually got credentialed, didn't have to pay for tickets and sat in pretty good seats at this event. And I got to see Joao Souza win it live, which was like, that crowd was electric. This is a great crowd for their Portuguese. I don't know if you saw over the weekend, like their center court was full for their qualifying matches. As long as the Portuguese guy was playing, they were pretty full, even for qualies. And they don't have a lot of good guys who are playing in qualies, put it that way, at the ATP level. So I, I I love this tournament. I I saw that on Twitter too that it's playing a bit quicker. It could be the fact that maybe the ball is kicking through. So like heavy more than big power, but like heavy topspin forehands are kicking through and giving people trouble, and really kind of accelerating after the bounce. It's never in the past been known as like an ultra fast place, but I mean it makes sense as to why Tiafo maybe has gone deep a couple times here, perhaps. Uh, but you know Baez is not a quick quarter by any means. Um, and we'll we'll see. I think obviously, uh, it's it's just a great event. It's well run. 
It's a beautiful little town. They've got one of Europe's biggest casinos there. They've got a great intercontinental hotel right that overlooks the water. And then they have the, the tennis club. And then they've got a couple little nice little bars. What more could you want from a nice R&R vacation? All right. Well, let's go right now. Let's let's hop off this thing and get some tickets. <laughs> Sounds amazing. Um, and they don't sponsor this podcast, by the way. That's just a a, a a pure, I've been there and I love, like, good review for me and well worth doing. I mean, <laughs> I wish they did. Um, some headlines okay, so right. far. So far, Ben Shelton won his first ATP clay match versus Lestien as a short favorite. We talked last pod about uh, Shelton's still going to be a guy who can play as a short favorite, uh, not a dogger pass guy. Uh, team won his second match of the year. There you go. Setting up a match with Shelton that we will discuss. Uh, Halis beat Nuno Borges, uh, spoiling the home crowd favorite. Uh, I lost on Borges on that, which was pretty brutal, but I was actually pretty impressed by Halis in that match. He had a drop shot, which made the top five drop shots on the, the tournament socials, which was pretty impressive, I have to say. Uh, Baez, like I said, into round three or the final eight with the win over Kachin. Let's talk some odds, guys. Huh? What do you think? Hubie, her cash is minus three and a half against the bottom Morales, who is plus 190 as a dog. Hubie is a minus 250 favorite. Uh, 22 games is the total. QB is a two seed, so he's probably second favorite here to Rude uh, to win this thing. But you got to think this guy's pretty susceptible to lose uh, at, at some point during this thing. Was pretty unimpressive and uninspiring in the loss to Manorino. To serve, if it is playing quicker, as we talked about, will we'll certainly carry him along the way. I, I mean, I don't feel confident laying three, three and a half games here. But like I said before, I don't want to overvalue the more natural clay quarter uh, office splash golden swing run any value though on the, the three and a half with zapata john well I, I don't play three and a halfs in general um and That's right. I, especially on clay it's the only way you're covering three and a half without hitting the over i mean how can can you seven six six four but that hits an over especially on clay seven five seven six seven six seven six those things are all going over if the plus three and a half hits uh, unless, sorry, unless Zapata dominates him. But this is the, a spot where if, you, if you're if you like me and you actually think plus 200 is nice value on the dog, do a little, like have a, a full unit on the over and then throw a half unit on the dog. And if the dog dominates and, you know, your whole approach to the match was correct, I think you break even or you make a tiny bit of money. No, you break even. Um, and if your over hits and her catch does his thing and, you know, tip, typical her catch wins in three or wins like seven, five, seven, six or whatever, Fine, you still profit on the match. But if you get what you would expect, a, a little bit of a grind fest from Zapata, I think you might have some narrative aspect here too that we might want to consider. Herkach is in as an emergency substitution. Okay. He wasn't supposed to play this event. An emergency substitution is when the wild cards are gone. It's not a wild card. They get into the draw last minute because there were several withdrawals and at least two of the top four seeds withdrew, mm-hmm. which was the case. I I, I would think Tiafo might have been one of them. Um, I, I'm not certain. I, I can't remember exactly who withdrew and the entry list updates isn't up in front of me right now. But when those when that happens, the tournament has the right to give a spot to another a highly ranked player that slots into either that, you know, that one or two seed so they can, you know, throw a quality event, and not get screwed over when, when it comes to ticket sales and, and marketing. That's why he's here. And you pointed out that didn't look very good against Manorino. He played five tie breaks in Miami, he should have been out to Kokonakis, who had five match points throughout the second and third sets. He's not playing great tennis right now. I think that's why he's here, to be honest. I don't think he takes this emergency substitution if he goes to the fourth round of Miami. So that's worth noting. There could be, he's out of form. He knows he's out of form. And he took a last minute acceptance here to try and find it. I don't know if Clay is the place where he's going to find form. Zapata's not a great guy to play against because one, he's a clay court natural. Two, he'll make you play all day. Uh, three, if there's anyone that's going to be able to return that serve, he's kind of got the tools and he understands the surface well enough to do it. Does Hubie have the kick serve needed here, potentially? Do, can he handle that that heavy forehand? It doesn't play as well on, on hard courts for Zapata, but you get him onto a clay court, and it's not that he can absolutely hammer the ball with power. It's that he can play a heavy ball, which are hard harder to counterpunch for a guy like Hubie, who is a counterpuncher. He can't just unload from the baseline. How does he adapt? Because if he's just going to push it back, you're playing right into a grinder like Zapata's hands, right? That's what he wants you to do. He wants you to play a three-hour marathon on clay. That's his territory now. I don't know. I think the fact that Hubie wouldn't be here if it weren't for an emergency substitution, he wouldn't be here if he was, wasn't was struggling. So he's playing like 
pretty badly. And I don't even think it's a subjective, like, yes, it's technically an opinion to say that, but the fact that he's here shows you that he knows it, man. Like he's acknowledging he's playing like crap. So you get a clay quarter with a heavy forehand. He's not a total pushover. Showed some form earlier this year on clay. You get plus 200. Situationally, I think this is a pretty damn good spot to back in over in a dog money line. Yeah, I didn't even know that there was emergency substitutions. Like this was like a UFC event or something like that. But um, I looked it up. It was supposed to be quarter that was supposed to take his spot. Yeah, okay. And he's the guy who plays here as well, often. Usually, usually. Corda healthy enough to be a brand ambassador, but uh, not play tennis. <laughs> I think, you know, the fun part too is like, you can tell how well run of a 250 this is and how well attended of a 250 this is by the locals and by people from Lisbon. It's not that far. It's like half hour, 40 minutes on the train from Lisbon each way. Because guys keep going back. Bo has made multiple deep runs here. Baez keeps going back. Um, Corda keeps going back. And young guys too. I think it's like the, the energy for for some of these younger guys. Like it's it, it's a nice feeling not to play in front of an empty or dead old too crusty 250 crowd, right? Like maybe Gasquet doesn't go back. You know, he's in Marrakesh this year. But uh, after the troubles they're having, maybe he'll be back in Estoril next year instead of um, Marrakesh again. But I think it's a very well-run event. And you're seeing that in the guys that typically show up in the entry list year after year. Let's keep the dog talk going. Yuri Rodionov is a plus 200 dog to Mio Kashmanovic. Plus three and a half is the games line here. Kashmanovic is minus 250 on the money line. A bet I like that I saw earlier is plus one and a half sets uh, and the money line. Well, the plus one and a half sets with the dog here running off is minus 130. I love that. I am full aboard the Kashmanovich fade. I actually think this guy is a more natural clay quarter than Kashmanovich, who I think is a bit overrated on the surface. Um, and just, um, I'm this is a pure Kashmanovich fade uh, for me. I like the the set bet, the plus one and a half sets, more than the the money line, just because Kashmanovich, I think, obviously, you know, is the more you know traditional talented player here. But uh, I don't hate the plus two hundred dog price uh, on him on him either. I just I missed the spot to fade him against Rublev because um, he was like plus four versus Rublev, and man, he got creamed in that match. Uh, didn't even sniff covering. Uh, I'm not gonna miss a, a shot here. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm still bitter about Kekmanovic losing to Wawrinka at Indian Wells. I'll never forget that. But now I feel like I'm in some animosity pickle, and I'm just trying to fade this guy. But I, I don't know. I, I think Kekmanovic is actually a pretty decent clay player. So I'm, I'm not trying to look to Rodionov to actually take him for a set here. So I'm, I think I'm going to pass. Yeah, I'll, I'll never ever um, forgive Mio for losing to Stan Wawrinka. As like, and that max bet too is like a nine unit swing. It takes March from being a nice, very nice, strong month to a great month. Um, the overall season from being decent start to very nice start. Of course, you know, never forgive Mio for that. But yeah, he is he is actually a more natural clay quarter. I think that's why his hard court success has come in places like Delray, Miami, Indian Wells in the past. Those are you know the slower hard courts. I don't know if he's played Acapulco. Uh, maybe he did this year in his down year, but he beat Luca Nardi pretty badly in that second set. I wanted to fade him there uh, at around the same price because Nardi is a talented youngster, but he's been pretty bad this year, not just in terms of record. I've watched him a few times. He doesn't look nearly as good as he did last year, which was his breakout campaign. So I held off. Glad I did. Now I'm kind of with Dave here. Like I had a Ramos Vignola's 22 to one outright ticket. Um, I had him minus four games. The right move there was the first set. My angle was potential fatigue from roading off after a long two weeks and change of surface from quick indoor at altitude and then quick indoor courts in France, hopping over to Portugal, playing on clay for the first time. He got broken right away. But then from the, after the first three games, it was his match period. Like I cannot be upset about losing that minus four because outside of those first three games of the match, it was all Yuri. He's got an explosive game. It's very volatile. I think an over here is probably the best look because I, I plus sets are over again, especially with Yuri. I don't think I want the games of the guy who can lose a set 6-1. He can also win a set 6-1, which would pretty much lock up your games. But, you know, if he wins a set 6-1, just take your set money and go home. Take your over money and go home if Mio ends up winning. Don't get into that. And then money lined it over plus 200. I'm still not convinced by Kichmanovich. 
Uh, even though he's back on his favorite surface and even though he beat Nardi pretty badly, I'm not convinced. Uh, Kashmanovich's title, uh, his only title, I believe, is on clay. So, but I, I think he's a suspect clay guy. I think he profiles as a clay guy, but I, I just don't, I don't, he just doesn't have that. Other than that one title, which was uh, post uh, pandemic, um, a depleted field. What are his results during clay know. season? I think you have a, uh, Popperin punch card of hatred, and then you got this uh new Kekmanovich punch card of hatred, and this thing's about to get another stamp. All right, well, let's keep the dogs rolling here uh, with Ben. I mean, go ahead. Sorry, uh, the Medvedev loss at the French Open actually, I, I think, is pretty bad for a guy who does want to be a clay quarter. But a Munich semi against Bodic, three sets, won the first, lost a tie break in the second. That might have been a set break situation. Took a set off Djokovic and Belgrade, although Djokovic then got killed by Rublev in the final. Uh, quarterfinals in Rio in the past. He's he's had summer semifinals in Buenos Aires. Kitzbühel, I guess, is altitude. So that, like you said, COVID plus the altitude there kind of makes that a little bit of a, an outlier. But I mean, this I guess he hasn't had a ton of results at tour level, especially at bigger events. But this is a smaller event. I think he's got a shot. But yeah, it's, he hasn't been as good as you'd expect. But he hasn't been as good at, as you'd expect anywhere uh, mm-hmm. compared to when he was a junior and the hype that was around him. Well, let's keep the dog talk rolling. Like I said, with Ben Shelton here, plus one fifteen on the money line against Dami Team. Uh, I mean, we said it on last podcast or the podcast before. C Team fade Team. Now he did say uh, in his post match presser that he feels like he's playing better tennis than when he was winning matches last year. So, I mean, if you're looking for, I, I feel like confidence is a, a, a big issue with team and, and frustration. So it sounds like he's not totally uh, lost in the woods in, in terms of where his gameplay is at for himself. Uh, so the, the confidence is there. But uh, like I said, C team, fade team. We have Ben Shelton. He has, you know, a, a very limited one sample size clay win. Uh, but I don't care. Uh, he looked pretty good. You're doing uh, it. He's He was two of the top five drop shots. Uh, and that uh, aforementioned social media post about the top five drop shots uh, <laughs> at this event. Um, I think uh, Shelton's certainly in a better position here as, as a dog uh, than he was when we lost to him as a, a favorite against Manorino, who then, of course, you know, went on to a bit, a, bit a, a little bit of a run. So, yeah, I like Shelton here. C team, fade team. If if you lose, what, what whatever. I, I mean, it'll be the team's third win of the season. Come on. Yeah, that has been conventional wisdom for Team Gia this year. So, like, when I first saw this line come out and saw Shelton as a dog, he was at plus 125 then. He's now at plus 115 on Bovada, which means you can get better odds anywhere else on that. But um, then I watched the the replay of the team match last night after I saw those odds, and I was like, okay, all right. Now I'm just back to looking at these little – First round clay matches where I don't know what the heck to do with the next one because I'm just testing the waters. It's like team played pretty damn well, actually. His forehand was actually clicking. Ofter actually played pretty well and he was hanging in the match. Um, he played well in the first set and then team just took over in the second and third sets. And like if he plays like that tomorrow against Shelton, he should win. But I mean, like, I don't know what team's going to show up. Is it going to be yesterday's team or is it going to be every other match that we've seen team this year? So I don't know. I feel like he's kind of coming back to form. I haven't seen his forehand look like that all year. And all of a sudden that thing's looking pretty nice. So I'm actually going to back off, but it's going to be a cool match to watch. Yeah, I would say for me, the over is the obvious look for me here because Shelton is not the greatest returner. He's Great hype around him, huge game, great serve. We under I know all this, but if if we want to like look past the hype, his return game is not the strongest, right? It's and not. even on clay, even against Constant Lestienne, five and five, team has more power, more prowess, bigger serve, more pop, better topspin on the surface than Lestienne does. His win over Offner to me is much more impressive than Lestienne. Forget the fact that Offner plays challengers and Lestienne has been playing on the tour this year. No, on like Sebastian Offner in this form when he's been playing well, as he has been in recent, um, let's say the last six weeks, is a better win, even in three sets, especially as a comeback from team, which is something I, I wasn't expecting. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised by a blown lead, wasn't expecting a comeback from him. 
I think that the over is an obvious look here. If you like Shelton, I think you're probably safer with the over because is he really breaking team multiple times to keep this match under? And is he going perfect on serve against a great clay quarter, even if he's not playing his best? Right. So I think the over is the better look. And it's, I, I almost never do short favorite over combos. It's almost always dog ML over combos. But I think I like overs, set overs, and team to win this match. I think um, Shelton showed he could reset points with that lefty four, and he had like a little bit of a loop. I don't think it's as natural, and I don't think it's unattackable. I think a lot of people gave him credit for resetting the point against Lestien by hitting a big spin forehand to get himself back settled, recover to the center of the court, and get back to neutral in the point. There's one big difference between Lestien and Team. The backhand Lestien, Lestien hits, he can't attack those loopy forehands. He's just going to push them back, which means Shelton has successfully done what he set out to do and get back to neutral uh, footing in the point. Team is not that type of player. Team is aggressive. Team does play with power and team plays with heavy topspin. He will put you right back on the back foot if you're going to lob up those balls like that. And there's an effective defensive kind of loopy forehand. And then there's just a loopy forehand that, you know, you got away with against a guy who can't really attack all that well on this surface. And I don't know if Shelton has that first one yet. I think it's more of the latter than the former. I think team is, is, is probably the play here, not just because of the oftener win, but just in general, like I think he matches up well. All right, well, we got both sides here, which I like. Uh, encouraging on this podcast. Uh, and I, I I might join you on the over. You, you might have convinced me on the over here. All right, well, let's keep it moving off the dog train to a favorite. And I think this is a, a fantastic spot here for Roberto Batista Agu to get a win as a short minus one. It's not short, but a, 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 not a too heavy favorite at minus 155, laying two games against uh, Halis, uh, who I praised earlier. Um, but the thing of it is in that uh, Halis match versus Borges, uh, I mean, Borges is just not finding winners. Uh, he's, he's, he's just not that, that type of attacking player. I, I think Halis was able to get out of a lot of points. And he did have that drop shot that I didn't know he had in his bag, but I don't think he's going to be the only one ending points uh, this time around. And I think this is actually a good spot for a, a slumping RBA to uh, attack a guy who's not the uh, the best from the baseline, and get back on track and, and pick up a win here. Uh, Halise is only plus 130. It's a pretty short dog price, uh, and I think RBA you know, has probably deservedly played himself into these odds, but I, I think that you know the top end, if RBA does summon uh, some, some, some game here with a change of surface, pretty cheap price to, to take on the veteran, more crafty player. And this one's moved a bunch. It opened plus 130, got up to plus 155, down to plus 130. I don't know what that what that is. I, I don't know if someone was like, there were steam chasers over in Europe overnight, uh, kind of seeing movement and just hammering. And then the market saying, whoa, 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 whoa. You've chased this steam too far. We're pushing it back. But Bautista who has been dirt this year. Uh, and that's the problem for me. He's been terrible. Hali is like more competent on clay courts than I think he gets credit for, but I'm not backing him at, at um, as a short dog, even against Bautista Agut, who's been, again, pretty terrible. I, I I feel like it's not priced right. I mean, there's a book that has RBA minus 145, 145 now. Like $1.68, man. That's, I mean, Roberto Bautista Agut on any clay court at tour level against Conte Ali at almost $1.70 or nearing the minus 140 mark just sounds outrageous. But he's been that bad. Like, I can't really make a case for him. I would say that if I'm going to play it, I'd play RBA, but that's an easy pass for me. Yeah, it's another clay court match, and it's another match I'm passing on. Dude, this whole tournament, it's like either the odds just aren't there for me to take action, or it just has some random guy in the match who I just don't know how to predict. And this is just yet another one. I don't know which RBA is going to show up. Is it going to be a previous RBA, or is it going to be the... 2023 RBA and then Elise he's got his serve so it's like I don't know which way to go on this like I'd rather take Elise but I'd rather just sit this one out I mean I I don't have a confident lean either way all right let's dive into some deeper draw talk here I feel like this is Casper Rudes to lose this is a, a clay 250 when no one's looking this is Rudes traditionally his bread and butter um so he did drop the first set here today, but then uh, absolutely crushed in the next two and got the the cover after dropping a set. So he seems to be uh, back on track. Uh, I, I mean, Fokina is a guy you could maybe talk me into. 
as, as a dark horse here. Uh, what, what about Baez versus Rude down the line here? I think that's uh, coming up next. It is, yeah. Um, that'll be a fun match. Yeah. Uh, really tough test for, for Sabita trying to defend his 250 points. I don't think it's going to happen, but um, that's certainly probably a tougher match for Rude than his potential semifinal against RBA, Halis, Team, or Shelton. Um, unless team starts to really find his groove and then he's, you know, Casper's probably donezo, but there's no sign that's going to happen. Uh, I think you go to the bottom half, you stay away from the top seed and the favorite who is really competent on clay and vultures these all the time. He said he was going to stop vulturing these for his schedule, but I guess he was so terrible the first part of the year and his off season was February. So like, I guess it's need to find form. Let's go vulture another 250. So it's stay in the bottom half is what I would say. Target Hercatch, who, again, as we mentioned earlier, situationally might not be here because, you know, he he wants to be here, but because he feels he needs to and needs to find form, which kind of implies and tells you, like, he's out of form, right? So it's probably a good person to target, especially on clay. I've got Davidovich Fakina. I got him before uh, before the tournament started at plus six or plus 550. He was plus 650 at one point, but I didn't pull the trigger till plus 550, unfortunately. But still think that was a good number. Um, his The seeds in his half were... Diego Schwartzman, who was horrible all year and bounced right away. Um, himself, Kichmanovic, who's been terrible all year, and Hercotch, who's been pretty poor uh, for his standards all year, and took, again, the emergency substitution. He wasn't even supposed to be here. So I like the fact that he's probably the most reliable seed, uh, and he's still got a ton of talent and firepower. So I'll, I'll absolutely take a shot on him. I think he's probably the favorite to reach the final. Then even if he's up against Root, I'll, I'll gladly take a, a potential uh, plus 550 there. Yeah, I think Casper Rude's probably going to win this. Obviously, I mean, that's the chalky pick. Um, if I were to look at the bottom half, I like your pick. I wish I bit that as well with uh, Davidovich Fokina because this bottom half is pretty watered down. And yeah, he could eventually just make it to the final. And he's been playing pretty well, too. I mean, I like his game. It's it's uh, the structure of it. It's getting better. He's uh, losing his mind seemingly a lot less this year. And uh, yeah, I like his maturity level. All right. Well, let's move on to ATP Houston and maybe do just a, a quick overview here instead of going match by match. Um, because I don't know. I don't really talk, feel like talking about this one in depth, <laughs> <laughs> to be honest. It's kind of a pretty forgettable tournament. Uh, Roddick won the first edition of this uh, back in 2001. It's U.S. clay, not red clay, so it, it, it plays faster. Opelka won last year, beating it Asian. is red, but it's hard true, which is the company that does all the green faster stuff. So, okay, well, it, yeah, it's not traditional red clay. Sorry, um, JJ Wolf famously won headline so far. JJ Wolf famously had to borrow clay shoes last year for this event, but came prepared and picked up a win against Thompson. Tomas Mahach beat Sock. Um, let's just talk some outrights in the, in the little time we have left here. I mean, Tiafo and and Paul are the the, the two top seeds. Uh, I think it's going to be hard for <laughs> anyone to beat either of those guys. Um, Paul is only one minus one sixty on DraftKings against Hoffman today. Yeah, Tommy is- sucks on clay, notably, but yeah. this thing's like hardly clay. And Halfman is a clay guy. I mean, then I took a look at what Tommy did last year. He lost to Kyrgios in straights. I mean, that might seem like a bat beat down, but it was like uh, Tommy was over six on break points. I get Nick Kyrgios just takes points off and then just gives up break points and knows that he just can save those easily with his serve. So, but either way, like Tommy had his chances there. Um, Halfman, I mean, he's got a decent serve, but it's nowhere near Nick's level. I do actually like Tommy Paul there, minus two and a half. But- Sad to say, but Isner is pretty live in this thing again. Right? <laughs> I was just going to say, it's like, oh, he could serve his way through this draw. Again, yeah. I mean, he was in the final last year. I don't, I mean, for him, he's not going to play anyone. Like, he's going to beat Bruver. He's going to beat Wolf or Kudla, probably. Wolf could maybe get him um, yeah. if he, like, shows up and plays well. But um, yeah, I mean it's gonna be fo. I think it's gonna be fo or Isner in the final uh, against, and then and then I, if you're looking for dark horses, Echeverry doesn't have a a tough path here to get pretty deep in this thing. 
Um, with Nakashima gone, um, yeah. and then they have uh, Mahach as a, a favorite against Giron. I, I'm definitely going to play Giron there, um, even though I am a, a Mahach guy. I just watched him lose to Jordan Thompson last week. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not overvaluing that, that win to stop, but I do want to bag Mahach uh, moving forward. Um, we'll talk about him on another podcast, but uh, Gareen uh, has, I think, has won this thing, yeah, in the past. Yeah. So he's a name to look out for uh, as well. Um, but yeah, I, I think Tiafo or Isner from the top half, and I'm going to go with Echeverry or Paul in the bottom half in the final. Yeah, I'm not hating on Gareen on the bottom half. Yeah, um, it's a cursory glance type of tournament. Check it like. These kind of events might have some mistakes in um, individual markets because they may be priced as normal clay and it's it's plays a bit quicker. You can, the servers can play a little bit better. Previous champions, like was it a Pelka or Isner and Steve Johnson, you know, Tennis yes. Sangre made a final. It's an ugly tournament, but there might be some individual individual match markets to attack. Outright wise, cursory glance at best. It's ugly. All right, guys. Well, if you made it here, give us a like, a subscribe. Uh, we'll be back next week. Until next time. See you in the court.